Hello, lovely people. I am very excited to share with you the conversation that I had with Dr. Chitty Parikh. She co-founded the Integrative Health and Wellbeing Center at New York Presbyterian Hospital, and she has dedicated her life to combining the best of Eastern and Western medicine, bringing all different types of healing modalities together inside of a healthcare system. She is a wealth of knowledge, and in today's episode, we dive into the power that our mind has over our physical well-being. She shares the seven ancient health secrets, and we get into mindful eating and the future of holistic health in a Western healthcare system. Now, before we dive into our conversation, I wanted to announce the date of our February gathering, which is Wednesday, February 28th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The morning ritual monthly gatherings are free for our paid subscribers on Substack. And if you're not a paid subscriber, no worries, you can still purchase a ticket to our February gathering. And this month we explore the power of resetting and why creating your own personal reset button is key to improving relationships, combating burnout, and increasing creativity, productivity, and joy in your life. So you can register for the February gathering using the link in the show notes below. Now to my conversation with Dr. Chitty Parikh. My gosh, I am so grateful that we get to have an expert like you on the show. And I could certainly read out your bio and all your credentials and your experiences, but I think it would be a lot more interesting to hear your story um, from yourself and a little bit about the, the work that you're doing and um, also the story of how you got to where you are now. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lee, for having me. I'm so excited to talk about my journey, but also, you know, just excited to share this knowledge with your audience. So let me tell you a bit about my background. So I grew up in India and actually moved to United States in my teenage years. So I grew up in a household in a small town um, where, you know, food was medicine. <laughs> my, I still remember my grandma would like open the spice box and just say, just take this, take this. If your tummy is hurting, if your head's hurting, you know. So that's sort of the environment I grew up in. So when I moved here, it was definitely a bit of a culture shock, to say the least. And when I decided to go into medical school, I knew that there was still so much more I needed to learn about myself and the field I was going into. So I actually took a gap year before I went to medical school. And during that year, I, uh, I backpacked on my own throughout India, throughout Asia. Um, and this was pre sort of iPhone, Google time. So I still had those guidebooks. And I went to some of the most remote places. I did extensive silent meditation retreats, met, met so many monks and yogis to really see um, what health and what life really looked like, right? Because as a doctor, it's not just about fixing a disease or giving a pill. I wanted to be the kind of doctor that people don't just go to when they're sick. I wanted to be the doc kind of doctor people go to to stay healthy. It's a whole new way of looking at medicine. And that's what I exposed myself through that year of travel to immerse myself in those experiences so I can be a much better advocate 
of the patients I was about to see. So I can actually look at them more holistically, not just the physical symptoms, but actually look at their emotional, their mental, their spiritual well-being as well. So I want to treat the whole person, not just the, the label, the diagnosis. And that's what prompted me to really put this idea into practice. And I created a center called Integrative Health and Wellbeing at Cornell New York Presbyterian uh, almost eight years ago now. It was a dream, but it somehow came into reality where now I get to practice 5,000 years of science combining best of Eastern and Western medicine. So in our practice, we have doctors, um, we have acupuncturists, we have meditation instructor, we have Qigong instructor, nutritionist, psychologist, all of this, you know, all of these modalities are brought together in a way that's covered by insurance and accessible to everyone. And we're doing it inside a healthcare system, right? So it's not something people have to go outside to seek, is it's blend seamlessly within their whole healthcare experience. So I'm living my dream, I like to say, and I hope my ultimate passion and my mission that drives me is to bring this to every single person, right? Every single hospital should have a program like this. This really is the future, and I strongly believe that. Mm, that's amazing. That's such important work, and I really hope that that program can expand into all hospitals. Do you think that's where we're heading? Yeah, I mean, in the last, just like last 10 years, the whole attitude towards holistic medicine has really changed dramatically because there's so much more research supporting things like acupuncture, meditation, yoga, right? It's becoming so much part of the mainstream medicine. But mainstream medicine still has a lot of work to do catch up to be able to provide these services. So I think the, the future really is where hospitals are not just hiring doctors and nurses, but they're also hiring yoga teachers and acupuncturists. So this is where we're headed. I see the change happening. More and more institutions are embracing this. So I hope we're getting close to a day where this just becomes part of healthcare. Mm, awesome. And so um, you've recently published a book called Intentional Health. And I haven't read it top to bottom, but I've skimmed through and read bits and pieces and, and I can't wait to get deep into it. But I figured we could touch on that and use that almost as a foundation for today's conversation. So in the, the start of your book, I love how you begin with a whole entire chapter on intention. And that's something we work with a lot on this show, on The Morning Ritual, as a mindfulness and meditation podcast, we work a lot with intention and the power of the mind. So I was hoping you could talk to our listeners, talk to me about the actual power of intention and the power that your mind and your thoughts have over the health of your physical body and what you've seen and experienced with patients. Yeah. The reason why I titled the book Intentional Health is because after years of seeing patients and all the medical training, you know, I realized that our body is incredibly intelligent. Like everything we need is right here for us to be able to lead a long, healthy life. The problem is we just get in the way, right? <laughs> with our, our, our thoughts, with our diet, our lifestyle, we are going against what our body and mind are naturally inclined to do. So intentional health is all about asking ourselves the question, what does health really look like for me? 
right? It's not about a doctor telling you, you need to fix this blood work, right? It's not about a social media post telling you, you should be a certain way size. It's not about a magazine dictating what health looks like, but asking the question, what does it look like for me? So starting our conversation with, with that question is so vital because I strongly believe that wherever the mind goes, the body will follow. So it's setting an intention, it's like putting instruction into a GPS. Once we have that, then our thoughts, our healing energy, our body, every cell in the body knows what the marching orders are, what to focus on. So that's why this question of what does health look like for me, setting that intention is a primary, most fundamental thing we have to do before we do anything related to health and wellness. It's not about a diet. It's not about exercise regimen. This is a much bigger conversation. And it starts in the mind first. So that's the reason why I talk about and I make that chapter number one, because we can't go further until we set an intention. And with the intention, it's also important to tap into the yoga philosophy of karma, because we often think about karma as, you know, tit for tat. I do this and I get this in return, right? You pay for what you sow. But it's so much more than that. Karma, the philosophy of karma is entirely focused on not being attached to the outcome and just doing the act mindfully, intently. So often we're told that, hey, if you do this, you'll get this. If you exercise every day, you'll be this waist size or, you know, this will be your weight, right? So our incentive is always the outcome. But what yoga and karma philosophy really tells us that we need to detach ourselves from the outcome and just focus on what we can control, which is our act itself. We cannot always control the outcome. Sometimes the outcome is better than we, what we expect or something that we actually need, not just what we think we need, right? So the whole power of intention lies in the fact that we're relying on things that we can control. We are channeling the power of positivity, of mindfulness before we make any changes. And there's a lot of science behind it. It's not just about, it's not just a realm of spirituality, or just religion or philosophy, this is actual science. Science says that people actually set a goal and an intention and channel that power of positivity actually have much better health outcomes. Just positive outcome or positive outlook on life reduces your risk of things like heart disease by 30%. So if that was a pill, there'll be TV commercials all over the place. There'll be billboards all over the place, right? But we don't pay it the same amount of respect you know, in our Western sort of mentality, Western world, as we really should. So that's the power of intention. I want people to pay particular attention to it and start that health journey by asking the question, what does health truly look like for you? Mm, I love that. And the, the key word, um, positivity. And I think from, if I'm understanding this correctly, that saying like, oh, I want my uh, cancer to be gone, or I want to be pain-free, or I want to um, not have so much inflammation. It's actually like, what if you stopped focusing on the, the, the negative and opened up to, you know, I would like to have energy, vitality in my day so that I can get to the work that I want to do with um, a clear mind or be there with my family. And having that positive kind of 
spin on it. Is that right? Absolutely. And that you nailed it because often we focus on things that we don't want to happen. Right. And we're, and we say our thoughts, you know, we are supercharging our thoughts with our energy. So if I'm thinking negatively, I'm paying more attention to it. I'm putting more energy into something I don't want rather than something I do want. So just shifting our framework, our words, our choice of words will dictate how that translates into our action. Hmm. That's the reason why when we set an intention, it needs to be something that's positive, something that is something we can control. I can't control. I don't want to get cancer. I can't control that, right? It's not up to me. But what I can control is I will take good care of my body. I'll prioritize my mental and physical well-being and nurture my healing power, right? So, so the conversation, you know, our outcome might be the same, but how we're starting the conversation is completely different. Hmm. I love that. And, um, it's, it's, it's so important. It reminds me of, um, this is a little bit of a tangent, but when I was a young girl, I didn't love going to school and I would oftentimes like fake being sick. And I would say, Oh, I can't go to school because I'm unwell. And I would get sick all the time. I went on antibiotics like eight times a year because I kept getting strep throat and like I kept getting sick and I, I was diagnosed as a child with chronic fatigue syndrome. And as soon as I learned in my teen years, yogic techniques and meditation techniques and mindfulness, being able to observe my thoughts and not give them so much weight, being able to create a little bit of space between me and my thoughts and start to play with shifting my beliefs and harnessing the power of intention, I, uh, I stopped getting sick because I was like taking responsibility from the way that my brain was, you know, acting. And I, and I sort of saw that relationship of, oh my gosh, if you tell yourself you're, you're sick, you, you might actually get sick. So uh, I don't know if there's truth in that, but it's something that I have experienced um, throughout my life. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I, I do believe that our thoughts become our reality. So whatever we're choosing to focus on will somehow manifest. So that's the reason why I encourage people to say, you know, envision your best self, right? Envision what you want to happen and keep that image in your head. So anytime you feel like the negative thoughts are coming into your mind, shift your attention to that idea, that image, those words that make you feel grounded, that channel the more positivity that we were really looking for. Because we control our thoughts, we really do. Because even if these negative thoughts come in, we control how we can restructure, how we can reframe our, you know, our, our mindset, um, and hence our actions too. So I think the power is within ourselves, we just need to be more conscious of it and use it more intently. Yeah, wonderful. Um, something else I'm really particularly interested on a personal level, but also professionally, because I see it with a lot of clients, is the relationship between emotions and stress and like the state of our nervous system and um, sort of chronic issues like an autoimmune disease or um, IBS or certain gut issues tend to, what I'm seeing really relate to the state of the nervous system, emotions, and level of stress. So what do you do with maybe a patient managing that? 
I see this every single day. So when someone comes to me, say with gut issues, right? They think that coming to me, I'm going to tell them to eat this diet, don't eat this, that, take some supplements, probiotics, right? But I often start with their emotional and mental health because the gut is the second brain. So if there is imbalance there, we need to look deeper, you know, not just the diet. Of course, that's important, but let's take a step back. There's actually so much science behind it. I'll give you an example. So in my practice, um, I love mixing technology with high, you know, high tech and high touch, Western medicine, Eastern medicine. So for a lot of my patients that suffer with you know, high levels of stress, I mean, that's all of us these days, I often have them wear something called a heart rate variability monitor. So it's just something simple that clips on your earlobe and it measures your heart rhythm and tells you if you're in that fight and flight response or relaxed. So I'll give you a, a very interesting example. And it really opened my eyes to how much the mind-body connection really plays a role. So I had a patient for many years and I had seen him even while I was training. He was my patient. And I got really close to him and his wife. Um, and he was a Vietnam War vet and he struggled with PTSD. Unfortunately, at that time, there was no recognition of PTSD. So often people would self-medicate, uh, medicate, medicate with like alcohol, right? So we ended up being addicted to alcohol. So we were working on that. And he was very open to trying different things. So I said, why don't you just come into my office and I'll hook you up with this new gadget I found and let's just see what's happening. So I hooked him up with the heart rate variability monitor. And I said, why don't you just close your eyes and think about something that really makes you feel grounded and happy. And he said, you know, he loves being in the water. He loves summer. Um, so, you know, as, a, as he was growing up as a child at a shore of Connecticut, he would spend all his time on a boat with his grandparents. So he's like, I'm just going to think about that. I was like, great, close your eyes. So I was monitoring his data. He was doing really well. You know, he was in a relaxation response. Heart rate availability was high, which is great. And then all of a sudden, I noticed a blip. All of a sudden, his score just went down. And then it stayed down for quite some time. And then it slowly started coming back up. I did not want to interrupt. You know, I just had him close his eyes and sit there for a few minutes. So then once he opened his eyes, I asked him, how did he feel? He said he felt great. He was very relaxing. And I asked him, you know, did any thoughts come into your mind, anything? And he said for a very, for a brief microsecond, an image of like a, a aircraft carrier, like a ship came into his image because he was thinking about him being on a little boat, but then the image of being in the war and, you know, being on a warship for a microsecond came into his mind. And he said, I didn't pay attention to it. I just went back to thinking about, you know, my childhood and I felt great. I felt very relaxed, but the data was saying something else. That microsecond of that memory and that stress response it triggered, I could see how long that actually lasted. And it, and, it, and it it completely changed how his heart was beating. His heart rhythm, his heart rate, everything changed. And this was almost 30, 40 years ago, right? That, that this trauma happened. But it was just a perfect example of how some of these things can trigger and really affect our nervous system. And on the other hand, I also have another example of a patient I saw who's going through a lot of anxiety related to fertility. So I said, okay, why don't we focus on, why don't you close your eyes? And she was religious. So I said, why don't you just close your eyes and just pray? 
Um, so she, in her head, she says this gratitude prayer every single day for all the things she's grateful for and thanking God for her, all that. So I said, just do that. Just close your eyes. And when she did that, at first her readings were very low. You know, she I could see that there was a lot of stress she was experiencing. The minute she closed her eyes and started her gratitude prayer, I cannot tell you the dramatic change in her numbers, right? Her heart rhythm, everything changed. And even had put on a neurofeedback device on her head, I could see a change in her brain waves too. And this happens in a microsecond, right? So this just goes to show you how powerful our thoughts really are. So that's why I love using this technology to give people an insight, a window into what's actually happening in their nervous system to show them how powerful their positive thoughts, their negative thoughts really are. So then they can be more mindful and they can choose what they're thinking, right? And that becomes part of their healing process. That becomes part of their treatment plan, right? Not just a diet or supplements, but our thoughts, you know, spending time expressing things like gratitude or if prayer is when you practice something like that or practicing mindfulness, these things are just as important as any pill or any diet that you can take on. Mm. So, I love, thank you so much for sharing that. And very, very funny because this morning um, I, I opened up a yoga and meditation studio in London about two weeks ago. And this week, there's been a new client come in, and they had a class on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. They've had three classes, and she's a scientist, and she's super into data. And she has a, a watch that does her heart rate variability, and she checks it all the time. And she was like, it's, I've been tracking it after the three classes, and it's gone up. Like you said, up is it's good. good. Yeah, creating kind of more space, right, between the, yeah, more variability. So she was like, and now because I've seen that data, she's like, I'm buying a membership. <laughs> and I was like, yes, so she's gotten a membership, a monthly membership to the studio. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, we should just be putting these, these, this technology on everyone and just let it sell itself. But it was so nice to hear that she's seeing the evidence from the meditation practice, from the breathwork practice, and from the yoga practice. It's so cool. It's so powerful to see that change. And also, it's not a change that happens over months or years. Because people think, oh, do I have to be practicing yoga and breathwork for years to so show it, you know, any benefit? I'm like, no. Within a day, that's three classes, right? Three classes. So... And I, I can show people just by changing your breath, by focusing on different things in real time, I can show you how much your heart rhythm changes. And I'm just looking at your heart or your brain waves, right? Hmm. But, but that's a change that's happening at every single cell level, right? It's not just your brain or your heart. Every single cell in your body will behave completely differently when you're in fight and flight versus relaxation. Hmm. Yeah. So, it's, it's the science. This is where the science and the ancient wisdom really come together. And I love that, that you are able to actually see it in action and see how much of a difference it can really make. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So that is a nice segue to my next question. And I think this could take a whole hour to go through. We don't have that time. So condensing it and then, um, 
encouraging the listener to get the book to get all the juicy details, but curious what the seven ancient secrets are. Can you tell us the seven ancient secrets and a little bit about each of them? Yes. So the step one in the book guides you to how to set an intention, right? That's the first step. Now, the most important thing is bringing this intention into action, right? We can think all lofty dreams, we can set all these goals, but we have to put them into action. So how do we do that? That's when the seven ancient secrets come into play. Seven ancient secrets is like a roadmap to help you translate your intentions into action so you can get more sustainable results, right? It's all practical things. So it's putting this knowledge into action, making it part of your daily ritual. So it's not something you do for a day or two. It's a lifelong commitment to your health and well-being, right? And we're using 5,000 years of science to do that. So in the seven ancient secrets, we start with circadian rhythm. That's understanding our body's internal clock, our body's natural rhythm, and synchronizing ourselves to that. What time you wake up, you go to bed, what time you eat your meals, tends to be actually far more important than just the quality of sleep or just the food you're eating, right? We all have experienced that when our routine is off, we just don't feel like ourselves and we're more likely to get sick and have the brain fog, fatigue, right? So the first step is creating that routine, that ritual, some grounding factor in our day so that we're doing things every single day in a way that habituates our body to doing what it does best. Right. So keep with them. And after that, we talk about our digestion, the digestive fire from perspective of Chinese medicine, and also Ayurveda. Because in Ayurveda, there is a saying that food that is digested or metabolized properly becomes nutrition. Food that is not digested or metabolized properly becomes toxins, hence the root cause of disease. Food is the same, right? So in my practice, I see people hyper-focus on their diet. They're saying, I'm hyper-freak, I'm doing this diet, keto diet, paleo diet, vegan diet. Great. But you have to first understand what your body is actually able to process, digest, and metabolize. Because if it's even if it's a healthy diet, if it's not matching your unique metabolism, that can actually cause problems. So the book guides the readers how to understand your unique metabolism from perspective of Ayurveda, so your unique doshas, it's so one way of describing how your metabolism is different or from Chinese medicine perspective to figure out if your constitution is hot, cold, dry, or, you know, or damp. You know, these are different words, different ways of looking at our unique body or our metabolism, but I simplify it so that you can match what you're eating depending on the seasons, depending on how you're feeling and you're matching it to what your body can actually process. That's the ultimate goal, right? Then we go in deeper into talking about the gut microbiome, right? There's so much science behind the gut microbiome. Then we talk about the root cause of disease from perspective of Eastern and Western medicine. Why do disease actually happen, right? And then we talk about the mind-body connection. And then it all leads up to the ultimate chapter, which is breath of life. So that's where I talk about the breath work. So we're starting from the most sort of concrete concepts, like a daily routine, and leading it to more subtle things, such as our breath and our energy, our chi. Right? So we're making this journey from something very concrete, something very physical, to something that's almost metaphysical. 
So the seven ancient secrets are guiding us in a way so that we can transition from just our intention into action and more sustainable results. Now, a brief message from our sponsor, which allows the Morning Ritual podcast to continue as a free resource. I want to thank you for your support. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. One of the reasons why I love meditation is because I feel like it stretches time. So many of us, me included, wish that we had more time in the day. We can feel like we don't have enough time to do all the things we want to do. And one of the best ways to manage our time is to get super clear on what's truly important and make that a priority. I've found therapy to be a super helpful way to define my values and set boundaries. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, super convenient, and you get matched with a therapist to meet your specific wants and needs. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash morning ritual to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash morning ritual. The morning ritual is sponsored by Recess Mood. One healthier alternative to alcohol after a stressful day is Recess Mood. So Recess Mood is a sparkling water and it's infused with functional ingredients like magnesium and stress balancing adaptogens. So you can relax without the alcohol or the hangover. Podcast listeners get 15% off the Recess Mood Sampler Pack at takearecess.com TMR. Recess Mood is made with real fruit and it comes in four delicious flavors like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. With only 20 calories and no added sugar, it's a guilt-free way to unwind. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com TMR and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. The Morning Ritual is sponsored by Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meals make eating healthier so much easier. These meals are chef-made, they're dietitian approved and delivered right to your door. With Factor, you have over 35 different options a week to choose from. There's no prep, there's no mess, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Just head to factormeals.com TMR50 and use code TMR50 to get 50% off. That's code TMR50 at factormeals.com TMR50 to get 50% off. Awesome. And so after that, you talk about, okay, sustaining this health. Now you have an idea of <clears throat> getting to this optimal health from intention, from the ancient secrets, and now let's sustain the health. And something that caught my eye was um, mindful eating. And I thought that would be appropriate to talk about on the morning ritual because we're all about mindfulness. Um, I would love for you to just explain the concept of mindful eating and Something that I have experienced and I learned when I studied Ayurveda is it's not just the, the what, what you're eating, 
And it's not even the, 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 what you're eating for your constitution, but it's also the how are you eating? Are you just whipping it down while you're on the go? Or are you sitting with loved ones? Or what is, where is your mind at when you're eating? So can you just talk to us a little bit about your experience and knowledge of mindful eating? So I see a lot of patients who want to eat better. So they want to get, you know, more protein in their diet, less carbs, right? And they might want to lose weight or just gain more muscle. So we were talking about all these things. But at the end, I tell them, you know, it's not just about what you're eating, but also how you're eating. So as much attention we're paying to the number of calories or carbs, I also want you to pay just as much attention to your mental state when you're receiving that food into the body, right? And it can be as simple as simply closing your eyes and taking a few deep breaths before you eat. Because what that does is gets your body out of fight and flight because the deep breathing will activate something called the vagus nerve, which controls our relaxation response, but it also controls our entire digestion. So if you want the food that we're about to eat to be digested properly so we can get the most amount of nutrients out of it, we need to make sure that we're not in that fight and flight mode. So perhaps, you know, watching a scary movie or answering our emails and chowing down our lunch is probably not the best thing, even if it's a perfect healthy meal, right? The healthy part of the meal is not just in its macro micronutrient, you know, construct. It's also the energetic, the food energetic part is just as important. So just by taking a pause, that's why I love the, the practice of saying grace before you eat or expressing gratitude. A lot of religions and cultures across the world have this ritual of when you sit down to eat, you express gratitude for the meal you have and you express the fact that you want this food to nourish you really well. So it's about setting an intention right? And bringing your mind to what matters the most, which is being in the present moment. So just one minute of your time before you eat. So if you eat three meals a day, that's three minutes of your day. That can be a game changer and completely change, not just the, how the food is processed, but also how it nourishes your body, right? Mm. So mindful eating is all about paying attention to not just what we're eating, but also how we're eating the food. Hmm. Love that. Beautiful. And so I'm curious if um, there's any research, whether you're conducting the research or colleagues or um, people in your industry, any research that you're really particularly interested and excited about right now? Something that, yeah, you're really into. Yeah. So the latest, my passion, and this is something I've been always passionate about, but now I'm so excited because there's so much research behind it. There's a whole new field of something called chronobiology. So the Nobel Prize for Medicine a few years ago went to three scientists for their work in the area of chronobiology. What that means is understanding our circadian rhythm and recognizing how much our circadian rhythm actually affects everything in the body. So it's not just what we're doing, but actually the timing of what we're doing matters so much more. So I joke around with my patients and I tell them, I don't care about your diet. I don't care if, you, if you're going to the gym. 
as a doctor, I don't care about that. And they're very shocked. They're like, wait, as a doctor, you don't care about what I eat when I go to the gym? It's like, yeah. What I care more about is actually when you're eating your meals and when you're exercising and how often during the day actually are you active. So that's what all the latest research is saying, that it's not just about what you're eating, but actually the timing of your meal also matters just as much. Another example of how I mix, you know, cutting edge technology and ancient wisdom is I run a metabolic health program in my practice where I have a group of people, everyone wears a continuous glucose monitor and we see this in action. So they're eating their different foods and they're logging it in. And then the app that they use based on their blood sugar gives them a number. They're saying, this meal you just ate is an eight out of 10. That means it did not spike your blood sugar, it was metabolized really well. It's a good fit for you. And it can be different for everyone. You eat the same meal and I eat the same meal, our scores can be different. And what often people find, they'll say, Dr. Parikh, I ate the same meal, right? And then I got a score of eight one day and I got a score of six one day. It's the same exact meal, same carbs, same calories. What was the difference? And I said, when were you eating these meals? She'll say, oh, I ate that for lunch one day and then I had leftovers, so I ate that for dinner the day after. Same meal, eating that lunch, versus dinner is metabolized completely differently. So that's what the new area of chronobiology and more specifically chrononutrition is something we're going to hear about a lot. And studies have been shown. So there was a study recently done with diabetics and pre-diabetics. And what they shown that all they were asked to do was they were told to eat whatever they wanted. They don't care about excess nothing. They say, whatever you're eating, we just want you to shorten the time period that you're eating between eight and four. So eat your three meals, breakfast at eight, lunch at 12, and dinner around four o'clock. And they did that for seven days. And they found that if they ate their meals earlier in the day, their blood sugar numbers, their insulin, all of those were 30% better within just one week. And then the same group of people, they said, okay, now you push the clock for four hours. So now you're eating your first meal of the day at noon, next meal at four, a snack, and then dinner at eight o'clock. Those numbers were 30% worse. Hmm. The food they were eating were the same. It was the same people, same exercise. They weren't changing anything, just the timing of their meals. So in Ayurveda, in Chinese medicine, they always say, you know, you know, breakfast is essential, dinner is optional. So I always tell people, if you want to think about intermittent fasting, don't skip your breakfast, skip your dinner if you want to make it very light. And science is showing that. So this whole new field of chronobiology and chrononutrition um, is actually just validating all the concepts that have been around for thousands of years in Ayurveda and Chinese medicine. So I'm very wow. fascinated. You'll hear about this a lot more, I can tell you in the next few years. Oh, that is so cool. And I feel like intermittent fasting is kind of trendy. And so to be like, oh, I'm fasting, but I'm stopping my food at 4 p.m. or whatever. It's like, oh, that's cutting edge. Um, wow. So so do you do that? Do you try to eat? I do. Absolutely. I always eat earlier. Um, so I eat after a couple hours of waking up. So I'll do a little yoga meditation practice and then I'll have a healthy breakfast and lunch and then dinner tends to be earlier um, and lighter. But the later I'm eating, let's say if I'm socializing and that's life, right? You can be on this diet, you know, this regimen. I always say five days a week, fine. Two days, you can do whatever you want. Your body can adapt. 
So what I do is the later I'm eating, the lighter I eat or less carbs I typically eat. Okay. So that also helps my body sort of digest the meal faster. So I'm not spending the whole night digesting a heavy meal. So the later I eat, you know, uh, the lighter I eat and earlier I eat, I have more liberty. If I'm eating a pizza, I'm going to eat that with lunch or I'm going to eat that at 4 p.m. rather than 8 or 10 p.m. So I never deprive myself of anything, but I'm just more strategic and mindful of how, you know, how I eat it and when I eat it, not just what Mm. I eat it. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. Wow. Very cool. So I have a couple more questions for you. Quick, easy to answer questions. (laughs) One is um, about coffee. Mm-hmm. As we are the morning ritual, I am a coffee drinker. I try my best to have my herbal teas before my coffee, maybe even a bit of food before my coffee. I do notice with my coffee and my little like caffeine kick that it can kind of rev my nervous system and make me a little bit like, do you think that there's like, I don't know, is there sort of a downside to having caffeine and, and the nervous system stress response? Um, I think as long as in moderation and first thing in the morning, ideally with food is best. So caffeine on empty stomach can cause a little bit more of that anxiety like that being wired feeling versus if you combine that with some sort of food, especially fat, I find to be very grounding. So that's why if you add a little bit of coconut milk, almond milk, or ghee even, just a few drops in your coffee, that can be very grounding. And ideally you should do that with breakfast. So as you're metabolizing the food, the caffeine can also be properly metabolized. So I have no problem with caffeine as long as it's done in the morning with a meal, um, but I really try to discourage people from doing, you know, taking in any caffeine in the afternoon or past at least 12 o'clock because that can affect your cortisol levels. So that can actually increase your cortisol levels. So our cortisol is the highest in the morning and then throughout the day it starts to come down. So in the afternoon, it has a biggest drop in cortisol. But if we're doing a lot of caffeine in the afternoon, that can actually cause the cortisol to go up. And that prevents our melatonin from coming up at night. So it can actually affect your quality of your sleep, um, not just the total number of hours you're sleeping. So again, it's all about the circadian rhythm. So if you do it in the morning, it gives you more energy, gets you started for the day, not a problem. But the afternoon cup of coffee would actually be doing more harm than good. Hmm. Good to know. Gosh, you are such a wealth of knowledge. And I'm so so grateful that you came on the show and I'm sure our listeners feel exactly the same way and just a fun final little question because when reading your bio and in getting to know you before this call I I saw that you've traveled a bunch um, over 40 countries and I, I know how hard favorites can be but I'm wondering if you have a favorite place that you've traveled to Uh, You're right. Every country has its different charm, but I think uh, one place that always struck, like, you know, it has a special place in my heart is actually Myanmar. Um, And I traveled there at a time, unfortunately, it was, you know, a lot of political turmoil. But the people I encountered there were some of the most, the kindest and most generous people, even though these people had the least out of any country I visited. 
I'll just give you a quick story. So I went, I was backpacking, I, I went to this guest house in Myanmar and I just arrived in the country. It was a long travel. And the woman in the uh, in the bread and breakfast said, you know, you traveled a while. It might take you a while to convert you to change the dollars into local currency. It's like, here's some money. Why don't you go eat first? And she made us a cup of coffee and she brought out some food. And again, this is this is like a five dollars a night place, right? This is not some fancy hotel or anything, but it just gives you an idea of the level of hospitality and kindness of the people who literally have the least. So I think it just that always stayed with me. It's like in spite of all the hostility around them and you know the constant fear they live in, they still don't forget their their humanity. And and that's one of the reasons why you know that place has a special uh, place in my heart. Mm, beautiful. Oh, so final final thing. Where can our listeners find you? Your work, your book. Can you share all that information with us? Yeah, you can purchase a book um, anywhere online or any bookstore in your area. You can also go to intentionalhealth.io. That's the website. Or you can follow me on Instagram. I'm at intentionalhealth underscore. So feel free to reach out to me through any of those portals. And I love hearing feedback and any questions people might have. Awesome. Alrighty. Well, we will end the episode the way that we always do with a full breath in. And a long breath out. And have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.